Thank you for standing and thank you for being in church on this beautiful evening. Aren't you grateful to God for it, for this day? Amen. The book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, Exodus chapter 20 and the 17th verse. Now tonight, I'm going to speak on something and uh, that is um, not often talked about. Uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not one of those fiery sermons that you're gonna hear on a Sunday probably in most any church. But I do believe that it is something that our, our life hinges on in so many, so many ways and, and possibly in ways that we don't, even, we don't even perceive it to be. And so I think this verse will explain itself as, as we go along, but we'll, we'll look at the entirety of the word as it relates to it. So walk with me for a while. Would you, would you do that tonight? Would you hear the word of the Lord? And not, not only would you hear the word of the Lord, would you apply it? And I recognize that, uh, I, I believe, we're, Brother Gabe, this is being recorded, right? And so this will be on the podcast. So this is one of those um, messages that, that I hope someone will listen to outside of this building, possibly that's not here tonight, um, that needs to hear it. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. In Exodus, the 20th chapter and the 17th verse. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. I'm going to talk about covetousness, uh, but let me talk to you about more specifically satisfied souls. So I almost titled this tonight, knowing that it was beyond the podcast and. And uh, I think we all know, anybody that's been on any type of social media or watch YouTube, that the most clicks that a, a, a site will get is when they are negative. Um, positive sites don't, people don't gravitate, but people, it's been proven that people will look at, watch, listen to things that are negative, things that are, that are foreboding or looking for uh, prognosticators of doom and gloom and and the morbid. So I started to talk about unsatisfied souls, but I thought I'd try to, thought I'd try to change the course, of just a little bit of the current if I could. And so let's talk about satisfied souls, amen? Father, I love you and I thank you for your great grace and your love and that you are all, the, all that we need and help us to realize that and see that. So Lord, we love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing me to be in church and thank you for Thank you for speaking to me. I love you and I trust you. And so anoint us all, I pray in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. amen. You may be seated. In Jesus' name. Solomon the wise man said this in Proverbs the 30th chapter. If you would, let's look at it. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their, their filthiness. I have read that verse more times than I can remember in my life and I have read it or quoted it from this pulpit more times than I can remember. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Meaning simply that there is a generation that does not see its own wrongs. We wanted to just uh, bring it down to the bare bones. That's exactly what I was saying. There's a generation that does not see its own wrongs. It feels little to no need to change. It, it finds sufficiency in and of itself, there is a generation that is pure, pure in their own eyes. No need to change, no wrong, nothing to fix. And the greatest tragedy 
in such a mindset is that ultimately that generation, through the process of walking with that type of thinking, uh, will feel no need to be saved. That is the worst case end result. That ultimately when that, that type of thinking is entertained and allowed in life, ultimately the end result is that there is no need in their mind or thought process to be saved. Um, because they feel justified in themselves and feel nothing to be saved from. No wrong, in other words. There's nothing to be saved from, so I am pure in my own eyes. Now, let me, I want to qualify something really quickly, and this is not in my notes, but I want it to be. This is not about a younger generation. The scripture is not talking. Older folks, we can't look and say that this is about young people or youth or young adults or, or that this is talking about a spiritual generation, a spiritual thought process. It's not talking about an age group. Uh, I, I can't even really say I have thought about it, and I may have even said it from this pulpit, but I can't say completely that it is even speaking of a culture. It is speaking of a spiritual, generational thought process. And so we have to look at it and understand it, that this is not just something that's reserved for younger people or middle-aged or older people. It is for us all. It's just uh, do, the, do the opposite, if you would, of what Joel said, that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, on old and young alike, dreams and vision. Why was he saying that? It was because there is no generational gap when it comes to spiritual things. The spirit covers all generations, it covers all ages. Now that's not what I'm talking about tonight, but we have to look at it in that capacity. I feel very strongly about what I'm speaking to you about tonight. Um, I feel very direct about it. I feel very direct about what I'm going to say here Sunday, as a matter of fact. So everybody just bear with me, okay? Um, their heart and mind becomes jaded, calloused, desensitized to the point that, that there is little to no conviction, no wrong, and that, that's the spiritual mindset that he was talking about here in this generation that is pure in their eyes. Because they have surrounded and insulated themselves in such a way that all they have and all that they are is credited and created by and for themselves. Because they are pure. And so what they do is pure. And how they react is pure. It is right in their own eyes. It is, it is their truth. Now, I'm not going to talk about this tonight. I'm going to talk about this on a Sunday here soon. Uh, but there is the verbiage within our world right now talking about your truth. I've heard that in numerous places. People talking about, well, whatever your truth is. That is a lie from hell. Because there is no your truth. There is truth. It is not my perception of truth. It is not your perception of truth. It is the truth that God is. And so we have to understand that. And so God described in Romans, uh, the first chapter and the 28th verse, this mindset that ultimately this gets to. Now look at this. This carries on into the New Testament. Look at this in, in the book of Romans. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate, reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. A simple definition of a reprobate mind is a mind that begins to believe its own lies. When somebody says, uh, well, they're a reprobate, if we're saying someone is a reprobate, and we have to be careful in saying that, uh, but nonetheless, a reprobate is when someone goes to the point that they are believing their own lies as truth and are convinced of that in denial of the truth that God is. And again, this is about your truth, my truth. It's not about that. It's about God's truth. The more of self and stuff and sin, if you would, that comes in between our lives and God, the more distant God is pushed away 
in our life. In, in other words, <coughs> he's crowded out. The more that we accept those things, the more that we have those things that are in, the, the, more, uh, the more that God is crowded out of our life until finally all that we see in ourselves and what we think we have or, or, or think that we have attained or even what we have accepted. I need everybody to think a little deeper tonight. It's not, it, it, it comes to the point to where what we have attained or what we, we think that we have or even what we have accepted the thought of God becomes distant then. When we allow those things to enter in, when we allow, when we allow all the, the things of this world and things that we have to have and things that we see in others, when we allow it to crowd in on us, God is crowded out and we, become to, we come to the point that we accept those things and now God becomes distant. We don't see him as we should and give him the glory and, and we are no longer affected by his influence in our life. Then, then in time, we cease to retain God in our knowledge. With me? We allow those things to come in. We allow these feelings to happen. And suddenly, the more that we allow things to be pure in our own eyes, according to our truth, according to the way we want it, or according to the way we feel it, or according to the way we see it, ultimately we get to the point where we no longer retain God in our knowledge and we begin to serve ourselves instead of serving God. Now stick with me. We're going to get somewhere. We don't think about him, in other words. We don't think spiritually or, or look at life through the lens of, of the Spirit and the Word. The Word, everybody hear me right now. When we fail to, to look at life through, through the Spirit and through the lens of the Word, then we are not seen truly. We are not seen clearly. When we are trying to look at it from our own fleshly want and desire, life now I'm speaking, then we're going to have a distorted view. Because the Word and the Spirit, everybody hear me. The Word and the Spirit are telescopic. When they are heated to and life is looked at through the lens, we see forward what the result of heating it brings and what the result of ignoring it brings as well. When I look at life, you look at life through the lens of the Word, it is telescopic to where I can see what will be in front of me if I heed the Word and what will be in front of me if I do not heed the Word of God. It may sound far-fetched, something that that will not happen to us. But the truth is, uh, I've said it before, let me echo it again. We set one generation away from extinction as a church if we fail to get the message to the next generation and keep God at the center of our lives. If we fail to do that, if we fail to communicate that, if we fail to have that in our life, if we fail to keep, uh, if we fail to, to keep God in our knowledge, to retain Him in our knowledge, if we try to do this without Him, then we set one generation away from extinction. Um, this command of God to not covet, and I said all that to get to this, this command of God to not covet or desire something that is not ours or is another's is a subject that's, that's just not often thought of. We just don't talk about it that much. But the truth is, really, in our uh, fad and fashion-minded world, it's something that is just now accepted as the norm. Covetness whether we want to agree about it or not, or whether, whether you think it's true, it, it is something that is just accepted as normal thinking in our, in our land, in our culture, in our world. We see and are, are sold what, what is the new and the desired thing that's on the scene of life. It's, it's presented to us. The, the insatiable appetite of our carnal man wants what another has. And like a, a moth to the flame, we don't realize that it's leading us to, to ultimate destruction. With access to content, everybody hear me right now, with access to, to the content of others' lives through media, uh, through social media, through technology, 
uh, we often do not sense the leeching effect that it's having through our flesh to our spirit. And it's affecting every one of us to, to, some, to some degree. We don't recognize how much it's affecting us, but it is affecting us. I'm going to venture out on, on a little thin ice here and say something. Uh, when we went into the pandemic and all of a sudden we went online and everybody was online, and I recognize this is being recorded. Maybe this should be edited out. I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Uh, when we went online, everybody was online, and uh, we, re we responded as well, and we did an incredible job, and I'm thankful that we did an incredible job, and the team that we have here put together uh, things that were way beyond me, and I'll never forget how they came together, and it was, it was, pretty, uh, it was pretty amazing. And, and we got feedback from a lot of people. We had a missionary that was using our, our recordings for their services over in, uh, in France, and where there was a lot of lockdowns, even more severe than here in the U.S., and a lot of people reached out to us. And, and suddenly what happened was one of the great disservices that that occurred during the pandemic, while it all had good intentions, suddenly everybody started watching everybody else. And the little church down the road somewhere didn't feel like that they were doing enough because they saw somebody that could. And we started comparing ourselves to this one and to that one. And we started seeing who had the better service and who had the better message and who had the better music. And who had the better presentation? Who had the better camera? Uh, who could do this and who could do that and who couldn't? And all of a sudden, everybody, everybody okay? Everybody was watching four or five. We were never more churched in our entire life. But we weren't more spiritual. We were going to four and five and six or seven different services every day in our pajamas, in our living room eating popcorn. And all of a sudden, we started, I, and I've, I told you I feel a little direct tonight, so hold on. And all of a sudden, we started comparing ourselves. And we started wanting what they had. And they started wanting what we had. And this one didn't feel like they were doing anything, and that one felt like they were knocking out of the park. And what should have been a coming together ultimately became a separation. And people started pulling their feet up underneath other people's tables and got out of line with God. Because covetousness is not just about wanting to have somebody's car, but it can be about wanting what somebody else has, what seemingly they have in the spirit. Um, hmm. We have access to so many things. And through the media and the technology that's in front of us, and it's not just about churches, I just wanted to mention that. I didn't have it in my notes, but I felt it. Because of media, technology, social media, whatever it might be, we, look, we have a lens into everybody's home. We see everybody's life. We see what they have and what they don't have. And, and truth of the matter is, when we're sitting there scrolling on our phones or watching it on TV or however it might, might be, whatever your access point is, we think we're just being entertained by it all, when, when in all the while we are really being enticed and inviting it into our heart. We're inviting things into our heart that is causing our spirit to be imbalanced. God knew that the desire of humanity could be the very thing that would lead, lead, him, lead them either towards him or ultimately away from God. He knew that covetousness would be the thing that that the desire of humanity would be the thing that could either bring them closer or further away. Look at this. 
Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am there, I am therewith to, to be content. I've said it before. Being content is a learned discipline. It is not something we are born with. That's why you put your kids in the nursery this Sunday, and they're going to sit in that nursery floor. Everybody hear this. They're going to sit in that nursery floor, and they're going to grab the other kid's toy, and they're going to say, mine. Nobody taught them to say, mine. Nobody said, go grab that other kid's toy and say, mine. And parents, let them figure it out. Don't get mad at each other. Well, I should have got a bigger amen on that. I've seen people, I've seen parents be mad at each other for years because their kids got in a fight. If the parents would have stayed out of it, the kids would have figured it out. Why? Is that okay? That's truth. Even if it's not okay, it's still true. Uh, why is that? Because we, we are born, we have covetousness. We have that want and and, and so being content with what we have and who we are is a learned discipline. It's not, it's not very popular discipline in our society, but one that if not practiced can quickly lead us to unhappiness and unfulfillment. If we don't learn to be content, to just be content in God, then we can quickly become unfulfilled and unhappy. Too many think that the void that they are feeling in their life can be satisfied by the thing that their flesh tells them they must have, or at least must be. They see something in, in others that, that tells them that they're missing out, or that they're somehow less, or that because they don't have that, or because they haven't achieved that, or because they're not doing what they're doing, or dressing like they're dressing, or going where they're going, or talking like they're talking, well then they haven't arrived. Come on, that is not life. It never has been, it never will be. Contentment will not be found in the assessment of another being measured to it. Understand, unless God fills the void, the flesh will know no restraint and, and will find itself desiring things and satisfying that desire with the things that will ultimately cause it to be lost. If I let my flesh go, you let your flesh go, and we begin to desire other things and we allow it to happen, it will ultimately bring us to the place we are lost because we will continue to satisfy the flesh and never feed the spirit and it will starve. Covetness in any way, look at this, covet, if you don't know what covetness means, it's just simply wanting what somebody else has, or somebody else is doing, or somebody else is being. I mean, that's, that's a basic definition of it. But covetness in any way can be born out of, a, out of a lack of contentment in God. I have found that to be true time and time again. Covetness usually is first found in a lack of fulfillment in God. We are trying to fill something that is missing in our life that is meant to be filled by God. When we are not recognizing, everybody say amen. amen. I want you to stay awake on this one tonight. Don't go to sleep on me. When, when we are not recognizing and acknowledging that all our needs and all our wants and all of what we have and who we are comes from God and his mercy, we will become selfish and we will become self-sufficient. We will try to do this on our own. I'm telling you, every stick in your house Every cent in your bank account, every breath that we breathe, every fiber of our being is allowed to be by God. We don't have any of it, none of it, were it not for God. I don't care how smart we are, how good we are, how hard we work, thank God for all that, but I tell you today, everything comes from God. He is the giver of all good things. Amen. Uh, 
If we, if we get to that point, we will, become to, we will begin to take the credit for, for it and, 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 but not be satisfied with it because we will want more and we'll want what we should not have or, or what we should not be. When we become self-sufficient, when we become selfish, when we don't give God the glory, when we don't give God the credit, we begin to covet other things and other people's things and, and how their life is, then ultimately uh, we get to the point to where, uh, where we just get lost because that's not how God wanted us to be. God wanted you to be you. God didn't want you to be me. God didn't want me to be you. He wanted me to be me. Anybody? We all have differing gifts, and we're all different parts of the body. Both in the church and out of the church, we have fallen prey to comparing ourselves to others, judging and surmising that we, what we think of others and, and basing our success and failures accordingly, sizing ourselves up to what they uh, that what we think they are. Come on, please, somebody hear me. Stop doing that. We're not, I'm going to say that from this pulpit, everybody hear me. I wanted to go out on the podcast. We are not in competition with any other church in Monroe County, in the state of Indiana, or this world. We are not trying to beat somebody to the finish line. We are trying to gather as many people as we can to make it to heaven. And not everybody's, not everybody's going to look like us, act like us, do what we do, how we do it, and that's fine. Because we are not in competition with them. We are not trying to outrun them. We are trying to bring glory to God. Amen. Amen. We know the result of what happens when it takes place in the world, when people try to outdo one another or, or be better than. We know what happens. So if we recognize that takes place out in the world, why would we want that here in the church? No one's ever happy, and nobody's ever satisfied by that type of mentality. But when it takes place in the church, when we find ourselves comparing ourselves among ourselves, and we'll read this scripture here in just a second. When we find ourselves comparing ourselves among ourselves in the church, when we're, when we're looking and sizing each other up, and this is, this is a terrible tragedy that's taking place right now. Because every Sunday you can go online and you can see every good shot on uh, Instagram or every good shot on Facebook. But we're not seeing the peripheral problems in people's lives. Amen? You okay? Uh, we're just seeing the, we're seeing the focus. It's just a frame. But outside on the peripheral, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of people dying. And they need Jesus. But when it takes place in the church, ultimately, what happens when we compare ourselves among ourselves, it leads to self-righteousness and blame when it does not happen the way that we think it should happen. We want that, and if we don't get that, then we become self-righteous about it, and so we begin to blame. For, if, for we dare not make ourselves, look at this, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It is not wise. The Bible simply stated, break this down. It is not wise to compare yourself to somebody else. It is not wise to compare ourselves to somebody else. It is not wise to want something that somebody else has. Now, I'm not telling, saying we shouldn't do things well and do things better. We should. But at the end of the day, you know who I want to be like? I want to be more like Jesus. You know who I want to please? I want to please Jesus. You know, uh, you, know who I want to, uh, you know who I want Family Life Church to glorify? I want us to glorify Jesus, not ourselves. Amen. 
We are all sinners saved by grace and need of God's mercy. None of us are better than, than another. And we're all in, uh, in this journey of the Spirit at different stations on the road and, and must understand it that it's the destination that we are all striving for, not just the immediate gratification of the here and now. We cannot just be gratified. Oh, hear me. We cannot just be gratified by the here and now. Because as, it, as the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This is a moment uh, in the time clock of God. And so I cannot fall in love with me. And you can't fall in love with you. And you can't fall in, the love, in love with the things of this world because they will pass away. But when you fall in love with Jesus Amen. and you want him, he will sustain us. You know, the truth be known, truth be told in, this, uh, in, in, in our world, we have more than we have ever had. Isn't that the truth? In, in, our, in our society, really, some of you old folks said you came through difficult days back when things were not as convenient. Um, so things were not as easy. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just at our fingertips, if you would. There, things had to be waited on and worked for. Uh, and, but now, now, today, we, we, we have more than we have ever had. For the most part, we want for very little. We seldom have to wait for what we want, want it today, get it tomorrow. I ordered something off Amazon here a day. Uh, it, was, it was yesterday. Uh, I ordered something off Amazon yesterday, and I, I got up this morning and turned my phone on, and, and it said, your delivery will be tomorrow, Thursday. And I'm thinking, I want it Wednesday. <laughs> huh? We're, that's who we are. We want, we want it today. Huh? We, ah, come on, that's right. We're upset if we have to wait more than 30 seconds in the drive-through line. We want gratification right now. We want it now. We, we covet it right now. We've got to have it. Yet even though, even though we are one of the, the, the most blessed and benefited countries in the world, Yet even though of that, we are one of, one of the richest countries in the world, yet we are not the happiest. That should tell us something. It should tell us something's wrong. We're looking at this in the wrong way. We're desiring the wrong things. We're never going to be able to satisfy that through the means of the world. Those kinds of things tell us that while it appears our neighbor or another that we know seems to have it all, or even, even we think we have it all, it's really just not about having it all, is it? That's really what it tells us. It's not about having it all. It's not about getting everything. It's not having the most toys at the end of the day. We don't win that way. How we win is being content. Learning to be content. Learning to be content in Jesus. Is it a painful lesson? I will tell you, it is a painful lesson to learn to be content. It is a hard thing to learn. It's a hard thing to communicate to young people. It's a hard thing to communicate to young marrieds. Because often contentment is only learned through difficulty. It is only learned through the process of finding out what is important and what is not. What really does matter and what does not matter. It tells us that uh, even though we think we have everything, our neighbors have everything, we really don't have everything, and it's not about having everything at all. Only Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies. Only he can fill the void. Now, I'm, I'm trying to bring this to a close. God in his omniscience knew what coveting these things and 
that, that he listed here in, in this 20th uh, chapter of, of Exodus. He, he knew what coveting those, those things that he listed would ultimately lead to, adultery, uh, theft, dishonesty, perversion, and in time death. And, and so when we look at this scripture, when we look at this one scripture, just the snapshot of it in these commandments of God, if we take that out, lift that scripture out and look at it by itself, would you, would, everybody hear me? This is something important to know. You cannot lift really one scripture out and build a doctrine on it. All scripture must be taken in the, in the light of other scriptures that support it and ultimately lead to the glory of God. If we take out a scripture and build a doctrine on that scripture by itself, we make that thing that we are building on without the other foundational blocks that should be built with it, we are making that a God. And it cannot be. So we take the scripture in light of other scriptures. A scripture that's difficult to understand must be taken in the light of those scriptures more easily understood. And so we look at this scripture. When you take this one scripture and you just look at it as a snapshot by itself, we understand the transgression of this one commandment of covetousness. This one commandment could lead to the transgression of all other commandments. If we don't get covetousness fixed, then ultimately it will lead to the things that God listed in this passage that we could transgress. So if covetousness is not reined in, then we find ourselves slipping into adultery, into theft, into lying, and ultimately dying. It's no different this day. When our life is not centered and satisfied in God, we will try to satisfy it with all the wrong ways and all the wrong things. It's just simple. But godliness, look at this. But godliness, godliness. Everybody say godliness. That should not be foreign to the church. Godliness should not be something that is detached from us. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us... Be there with, somebody say it, content, content. We have to guard our heart and our mind, and we've got to be careful what we look at and what we desire, and it, and it takes only a small opening in our life for the enemy of our soul to, to get a foothold, and so we, so we can't let our desires lead us to and into things that will cost us our soul. I don't know if you can do this on the fly, Brother Jordan, and if you can't, it's not a problem. I didn't. I didn't give you this before church to put up on the screen, but if you want to type it or if people just want to write it down. When I look at life, when I look at things, this is just, this is just, um, this is just my leveler, if you would. This is how I try to level my decisions and my thoughts, and I try to look at things in this capacity. There are five questions that I ask. Everybody ought to hear this, and maybe you need to ask yourself. When you're looking at something, when you're looking at decisions, when you're making changes, when you're going, when you're doing Every aspect of your life, you need to ask yourself this question, these questions. Number one, how will this affect my life in God? If I do this, if I become this, if I buy this, if I go there, if I get that, if I'm going to take this action, make this decision. Number one, how will this affect my life in God? Number two, how will this affect my family or other people in my sphere of influence? If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to be that, if I'm going to buy this, I'm going to get that, I'm going to go there, I'm going to, whatever. It, and and I'm, not, I'm not talking about going out and buying a Milky Way or something like that. Come on, we're talking about life choices here, big decisions. If I do that, how will this affect my family? How will this affect other people around me? 
Because like it or not, we are our brother's keeper to a certain degree. Number three, will I be better and closer to God because of it? Everybody with me? Will I be better and closer to God because of it? Number four, can I honor God with it? Because if I can't honor God with it, then I'm honoring something else more than likely so. And number five, will it cost me my soul? Will it cost me my soul? Because there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important than your soul. Nothing. I don't care if you've got a 1% mortgage on a $5 million home. Wouldn't you like that now? It's not more important your soul. I, if, the, if you got one pair of shoes on your feet and that's all you got, they're not more important than your soul. It's not about wealth. It's not about possessions. It's not about people. It's not about this world. It's not about what it offers or what we think that it has to offer. It's not about getting and going. It is about will this cost me my soul? I don't want to covet things in this world that will not last. Come on, I, at this point in my pastorate, I have stood at the casket of literally hundreds of funerals. I have lost count of how many I've done. I used to keep track of them, now I don't. But I've stood at the casket of hundreds of funerals now. And I will tell you, not one of them is taking anything with them. The only thing that matters at that moment, and I have seen both sides of the coin, is their peace in their soul. Were they at peace with God? Did they make it to heaven? And it's a question we can't answer. But it's something that we can feel most of the time. And so I can tell you today that when it all comes down to it, the most important thing about our life is not about looking at Instagram tonight before you go to bed and staying up till three or four in the morning when you should be asleep, looking at what everybody else has and you don't. It's not about thinking, I gotta get this, go there and be that and do that. It's not about looking at the church down the street and thinking they got it better or they can sing better, or they got this song, or they got this, and they're doing that. That's not what this is about. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, Christ said it this way, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So if we're looking for the kingdom of God to be satisfied by the things that we covet, it'll never happen. But if we're looking, everybody okay tonight? I think you're listening to me. I hope you're listening to me. I don't know if you're mad at me yet. Give me a couple more minutes. I may get you there. I don't know. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I, I just don't want to covet in this world something that I was never meant to be or never meant to have. I'm not meant to be certain things. I'm settled in that in my own life. There are certain things I'm just not meant to be, and I am comfortable with that. I am trying to be what I believe God has called me to be and wants me to be. And I'm trying still at 61 to learn to be content in the state that he has me in. And I'll tell you, there's some days that I get up, man, I'm feeling preachy tonight. Um, there's some days I get up and I am not content and that is when I go back to my knees and I go back to the Word and I'm reminded that He is sufficient. At the end of the day, God is sufficient. I'm telling everybody in the sound of my voice and the people that will listen to this online, I am telling you at the end of the day, God is sufficient. He is what you need Him to be right now. You're not going to find happiness and fulfillment in anything else. It may give you a boost of energy for a minute, but it doesn't last. But Jesus, but Jesus, 
Anybody but Jesus. Amen. There's no possession or person worth being lost over. At all costs, we've got to be saved. The answer is to honor God in all things and to place him first above others and other things, above our flesh and above our wants, and see him as the one that we serve and that we want to be saved by. Only Jesus. Somebody love him right now. I love you, God, and thank you. I pray, Lord, that this touches somebody's heart and somebody that's listening in this room or outside of this room tonight, that somebody would just know, God, that you're the only answer, you're the only peace, you're the only joy, you're the only hope, you're the only love. It's not what this world has to offer. It's not what possessions accumulate to be. It's not by the accolades of man. It's not by the achievements that we get in our life, but it is you, Jesus. Only Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy I love you. Would you stand your feet and honor God with me? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I want to please you. I want to seek you, your kingdom first, your righteousness, and all the other things will be added to me, God. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you thankful that God loves you so much that he just keeps speaking to you? I am grateful for that tonight. I really am. Amen. And I'm looking forward to Sunday. I pray that you'll be here and bring somebody with you. And we will see a move of God come expecting. I love you all. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed. Amen. Greet your brothers and your sisters and our friends here tonight.